What do you get when you add up innovation, digital natives, technology, the fear of technology, fintechs, and the quandary over what to do to move the ball forward? That's right. You've got the tragedy of banking. This week, Patrick Sells of Quantic Bank discusses that tragedy and what can be done to produce some happy endings. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate, and investigate actionable insights unscripted. Banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. Thanks for tuning into Bankadelic. And once again, if you haven't heard the news, Bankadelic is now part of Contrarian New Media. That is a company that sponsors and supports several podcasts, including Dave and Darm Demystify in London and The Fantagonist in Austin, Texas. It's great to be part of a big, growing podcast family. This week on the podcast, we have someone that helped us get there. One of the first sponsors of Bankadelic, and someone who has a lot of great stuff to say about the state of banking. And today we're going to talk about the tragedy of banking. Our guest is, of course, Patrick Sells. Patrick is a serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping transform community banking through culture and technology. He's the chief innovation officer at Quantic. And Patrick is focused on drawing a new generation of talent to the banking industry and elevating Quantic as a destination employer. Patrick, welcome back to Bankadelic. Thanks, Lou. Good to be back. And it's been fun to watch Bank Adelic grow and listen to the different episodes you guys have been putting out. Terrible comic misfortune here. As with a lot of professions, banking had a chance to get in on the talent wars on the ground floor and is in danger now of sitting on the sidelines. When you talk about the tragedy of banking, what do you mean exactly? Yeah, so I think having been in the industry now for about two years, I've realized that there's a lot of conversation around technology and innovation and fintechs. And there's this fear that, you know, banks are behind that. And what we need to do is go add new technology and we'll catch up. And I don't think that that actually solves the problem. I think we have to look deeper than that. Part of why we're seeing all these other companies get into the financial lives of consumers and take over the relationships is because a lot of the employees and talent there are digitally native. And I think when we take that even a step farther, really what I see is that banking lost the war on talent the last decade or maybe two. When was the last time, Lou, you heard a college kid say, I'm going to go work at a community bank, right? They go and do, they, they go to tech startups or, you know, organic restaurants and things that feel like they have a purpose. And that's why we're behind on technology and innovation. And I believe that the greatest existential threat to banking is not tech companies, but it's the talent and it's the culture and the reputation. We have to fix that as an industry or surely 10 years from now, we will be relegated to being a commodity behind the scenes or like a utility company powering everyone else. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that if you want to work for a utility company, but I'd rather own and run the power plant and have a very happy staff working for me. Exactly. And you know, it's also tragic, this idea of tragedy of banking. Community banks used to play a vibrant role in communities. It used to be prestigious to work at a community bank. It had meaning and purpose. 
And I think today, if you open up your news and you saw prestigious, vibrant, and meaningful adjectives about a company, you would not think that's describing a community bank at all. You're going to think it's describing a tech company. And that's too bad. We've got to bring that back into the industry. Banks, we've lost what we were and the role we played in the community. And that really is tragic. If you are the solution and not the problem, how are you doing things differently? What's been your vision and how are you realizing it? It started for us by trying to understand, even outside of a bank, what is the role of a company or said differently, what's the identity of business and therefore the identity of Quantic? And as we started trying to explore that question, we thought of an analogy. Well, what's the identity of a person? What's the identity of you, Lou? You have a heart that pumps blood. If your heart stops pumping blood, Lou no longer exists. As a bank, as a company, you have to pump profit. If you stop pumping profit, you no longer exist. But you, Lou, are so much more than a blood pumper. And you have a personality. You have excitement and energy and friends. And there's all these things that make you, Lou. And that's what makes you great. And so for a company, what are all those unique things that make us great, that give us an identity and a clarity and a healthiness about who we are? From there, we said, okay, Let's think about what goes into an identity. How could we develop a shared language within Quantic? Kind of a fun example of that. I remember on my grandparents' 50th anniversary, we were out hiking as kids in Colorado, and my three-year-old cousin's complaining, and my 10-year-old cousin says to her, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> and suck it up, buttercup became a phrase that, you know, decades later, we all still know what it means. It represents something. For us, the idea of shared language, we did that around our core values, and we developed four of those. And this wasn't something that was top down and it wasn't something that was bottom up. And so one of those is this idea of progress, not perfection. What we mean by that is we're not focused on a destination of perfection. There is no such thing as perfection for us. What we really care about is the destination progress. Can we be in a continual state of progress? And we want people who think like that and live like that. Another one of our core values is say cheese. You know, we want to be a place that's fun to work and enjoyable. And so, you know, no matter what's going on in your day, if someone comes up and pulls out their camera and wants to take a picture of you and says, say, cheese, what do you do? You smile. And what does the photographer do? They smile oftentimes. And so can we recreate that type of experience? The other one is know the goal. We don't want to just do things for the sake of doing them. We want to make sure we very clearly define what's the outcome that we want. And so we're very goal oriented. And then lastly is try it on. It's this idea that we want to be quick to do new things and try it on. And we're not going to get hung up trying to understand, is that the best way or what's your opinion? Let's try it on. And kind of the funny example that we use in that case is if you're standing at a department store and you see a shirt on the wall, you're not going to stop and get out your phone and make 20 minutes of notes. Should I do this or not? Should I try it on or not? Right. You're going to put it on and see how it feels and kind of be quick to take action. We built out that shared language as one example of what we mean by that it began to ignite the culture and it's made it a lot of fun. And we have this common language that everyone can use now. Maybe you can take me through the righteous circle that is kicked off when employees are happy and they buy into the mission and things happen. And then you plow that back into making the employees feel even happier, more satisfied. How do you see that working at Quantic and at banks that are getting it right? A great example is... It's so easy in all of our lives and jobs. We're focused on what you know is assigned to us. And we may know something else is going on or we see someone doing something and we may know that that's not the right way to do it or they're struggling or I could probably help them. But 
it's not really my responsibility, so I just let it go, right? I understand that. I've done that before, honestly. And I think, though, when you're happy and you feel encouraged and supported, you're way more likely to lend a hand or to get involved in something that's not your lane because you want to and you like working with each other and you know they would do that for you. And that's a great example as we really begin to infuse the culture and make it mean something. We started seeing the team all across getting involved in helping in other ways that frankly wasn't happening before. Now, I want to go back to that notion of know the goal. Andrew Gostick, who bills himself as one of the carrot guys, he is an expert on employee satisfaction, the workplace. And I saw him make a presentation where he said, you would think that money is the number one driver of why an employee is at your workplace as opposed to someone else's. But really, what's even more important is a shared mission, a sense of purpose that I belong, that I matter, that I make a difference. What are your views on that paradigm? Yeah, well, I look at a friend of mine named Jill Castilla, and she runs a bank, Citizens Bank of Edmond, down in Oklahoma. With Jill, you know, I know she is very, very focused on results and performance, and her bank is doing amazing things. But it's also a really cool and enriching culture, and it's fun, and it makes you want to go work there. And so not only does money not matter as much from an incentive standpoint, you may be willing to say, I'll take a cut in my salary because I want to go work there and I'll be happier. I know we've experienced that at Quantic. And so I do think you can fundamentally change the conversation away from money and pay to about the growth and development of you and to be able to work in a healthy and fun environment and organization. And what happens is results pick up. In the last two years, we've increased the average pay at Quantic by almost 25%, right? And so it's not about not having money available or using money as an incentive, It should be a piece of it, not the only piece of it. And this goes back to that idea that businesses have to be more than just profit pumpers. And if you treat the business like that, if you treat your employees like that, you're going to get stuck in that game. And so I absolutely agree with his comment about money isn't the most motivating. And in fact, it's probably not all that motivating. I just would love to know, because the values you're sharing with us on the podcast today are so special. Where did you get your values from? What was the origin of the way you think about these things that drives how you do business? You know, I've been reflecting on that some this summer and trying to understand it a bit better. I grew up moving a lot as a kid, almost every two years. And I think one example I could share, I moved from the suburbs of Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, to a small town in Missouri. And in this small town of about 10,000 people, I was in seventh grade, all the guys there in high school and middle school shaved their arms. That was the cool thing to do if you were a guy, which I thought was a bit strange at first, but I just started doing it. <laughs> oh, God. How do you keep track of all this arm shaving etiquette? But that taught me a really valuable lesson about you can find yourself in a situation where the status quo and the assumptions are so deeply rooted, you don't ever challenge them. And yet in a different context, it seems so crazy And can we build a discipline to say, whatever's going on around me, I'm going to step back and say, what are those underlying assumptions and what would happen if I begin to look at them differently? And I think that's been a key piece of my own growth and journey. I also grew up largely, spent the last part of my high school years and college in a small town in Indiana. And I think coming from a small town probably changes you in terms of how you think about the world. And then also, you know, frankly, I grew up in a 
Christian family, and I think religion plays a role into kind of how you see things and the purpose of things and the meaning of life in many ways. I think what we see with religion, regardless of what it is or which one, there's this sense of a higher purpose, of a bigger purpose to what it is that you're trying to do. I think all of them are fantastic. And I do think, though, coming from that world or coming from that background does change how you see the world, right? Is the purpose of business just to make money? That's so shallow. Whereas could the purpose of business be so much more than that, right? Could it become the source of human flourishing? And that's kind of how that upbringing began to shape my thinking. And it's interesting that if you study New Testament scripture, Jesus probably brings up the topic of money more than anything else, whether it's a parable or some other illustration of what he's trying to share. I like to think about all the great things you can do when you have a lot of money, when you make a lot of money, when you create a business that's successful. You can change lives. Absolutely. And whether you have a lot of money or a little money, it's your orientation with it. Are you going to be focused on with the resources I have for my own gain? Or is it going to be with what I have, I'm going to make the world and those around me better, however? And I think that mentality is everything. Now, we're going to elevate you based on your performance today on Bankadelic to King of Banking. Patrick Sells, <laughs> King of Banking. The tragedy of banking is taking place and you have a chance to write a new chapter what might that new chapter look like? What would change at banks? How would the environment pivot with the times? Deeply, I believe and want community banks in particular to go back to their roots and go back to the role that they played in communities and the people that worked there and the customers that they served. And so how would it change? It's for banks to wake up and become proactive and start by focusing on our employees and how we treat them, how we grow them, how we manage them, our customers, and really begin to come back into what it used to mean to be a bank. What it used to mean to be a bank is what it could mean to be a bank and obviously what it does mean to be a bank for Quantic. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for being a sponsor who supported us from the very beginning. Thank you for being who you are. You're making a difference. Thank you, Lou. It's great to be on. Patrick Sells coming in from San Diego right now is the Chief Innovation Officer at Quantic. You can look for Patrick on LinkedIn. Bankadelic, sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q-U-O-N-T-I-C Bank.com. 
And now, Bankadelic presents the world premiere of the tragedy of banking. Act One. Princess Priscilla's bank account has been hacked in a especially alarming tragedy since this is the 17th century. Act Two. The town wizard is brought in with broomsticks and tea leaves to try to get to the bottom of the perfidy. And Act Three. Act Three. Act Three Bullet Points. Number one. Think you lost the war in talent the last decade or maybe two? When was the last time, Lou, you heard a college kid say, I'm going to go work at a community bank, right? They go to tech startups or organic restaurants and things that feel like they have a purpose. And that's why we're behind on technology and innovation. Number two. I believe that the greatest existential threat to banking is the talent and it's the culture and the reputation. We have to fix that as an industry or surely 10 years from now, we will be relegated to being a commodity behind the scenes or like a utility company powering everyone else. Number three. I believe and want community banks in particular to go back to the role that they played in communities and the people that work there and the customers that they serve. Start by focusing on our employees and how we treat them, how we grow them, how we manage them, our customers, and really begin to come back into what it used to mean to be a bank. And now, lose Views. This week on our podcast, Patrick Sells of Quantic Bank gave us an excellent look under the hood at the tragedy of banking as perceived from his perch in the fintech world. However, the tragedy of banking, in a grand sense, is a much bigger story, and you could say it began 50 years ago. That's when Milton Friedman, a Nobel Prize-winning economist, published an op-ed in the New York Times talking about the role corporations should play in society. Friedman posited in that New York Times piece that the corporation's sole responsibility was to maximize shareholder value. He did counterbalance that with the idea that corporations that were maximizing shareholder value had to play by, quote, the rules of the game, end quote. I was privileged to sit in on some sessions this month held by the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business that talked about corporate social responsibility revisited. And on more than a few occasions, the business roundtable of CEOs led by, among others, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon came up. Within that, there was a decision made that perhaps corporations needed to change their view from, as one Booth speaker put it, shareholder value maximization uber alles. But then we realized that even people at the forefront of institutions calling for change also belong to institutions that themselves may exemplify the need for change above all. J.P. Morgan Chase just made the news this week, along with Deutsche Bank, City, and Goldman Sachs, for over a period of 18 years, moving $2 trillion in illicit funds through their institutions. Whether you side with Friedman's views of maximizing shareholder value or believe, as many of the booth speakers did, that something needs to be done, 
we can all agree on this, that in 1970, writing about the concept of maximizing shareholder value in the way he did put Milton Freeman a good 50 years ahead of his time. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And when I'm all done those Chicago dogs, I'll be linked out. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.